We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is week 14, and it is rivalry week. It is Ravens-Steelers. Ravens coming in at 8-4, and four, Steelers 5-7. and seven. But in this matchup, you just throw the records out. They don't matter. The Ravens are trying to stop a four-game losing skid against the Steelers, and they've got to do it with their backup, Tyler Huntley. I'm Sarah Ellison alongside my partner, Bobby Trossett. We're going to break it all down for you in this episode. We got a lot. We brought in ESPN's Brooke Pryor, who covers the Steelers on a day-to-day basis. She helps us take a look at the Ravens rivalry and what they're looking like these days. We will look at matchups to watch. We will have game predictions. But Bobby, before we get to this interview with Brooke, tell me what are your thoughts heading into this, this game the Ravens, you know, again, have to do this with Tyler Huntley. He did come up with that game-winning drive that helped the Ravens outlast the Broncos last week. Steelers, they've got Kenny Pickett. He's a new rookie. What are you seeing from the big 10,000-foot view on this game? For sure. I mean, like you said, it's rivalry week first and foremost. And one of the things I think about is just, you know, okay, are those classic storied personalities – that really made this rivalry what it was in the heyday, still here, still involved? No, not so much. But at the same time, it still packs a punch. It still has that rivalry juice. And I think that's the beauty of the fact that two organizations that are run so similarly at the top with consistency and longevity at the head coaching position, with great defenses, storied-wise, history-wise, it, it it just, it is. Like you said at the top, this is one of the best, if not the best rivalries in all of football. So that first and foremost is something to look forward to. But yeah, Snoop, Tyler Huntley. I mean, does it awfully, does it feel awfully similar, kind of eerily similar partner to this time last year when Lamar goes down with the bone bruise, Snoop comes in. Yeah, he finishes with a one in three record as a starter, but gosh, he played solid, respectable football. And that's what we heard from Mike Tomlin this week. And so we're not going to seek comfort or find comfort in the fact that we've been in the stadium with him before. Last year's exposure for him, probably more than anything, just tells us we better be prepared for a guy that's significantly better. When you've played and you've had experience and you're no longer speculating, he's not speculating what it's like to be in the stadium against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has that experience in his hip pocket. 
And so we better assume that he's going to be significantly better. In the same ways that we're not surprised that Kenny's getting better with each opportunity. Every week you guys ask me how and why Kenny's getting better. Exposure. And, and, I, and, I, and I could say the same thing about their quarterback play and the experience that he gained from a year ago. And so that's our mentality. Uh, we have been in the stadium with them, but we're not, we're not finding comfort in that. We're preparing to see a much better guy, a more experienced guy, a guy that's learned from that exposure. They're respecting what Huntley can do as one of the best backups in the league because he's more than serviceable. And we saw that in a win over the Broncos. Oh, yeah, he's definitely more than serviceable. I mean, if you were to compare um, all 32 teams' backup quarterback situation, you know, I'm not going to say I know all the quarterbacks elsewhere, but uh, there are a lot of people, you know, saying, you know, they wish they could have Huntley as a backup. Some people would even take him as a starter. But that said, Bobby, I do sometimes feel like he's hyped up a little much only in terms of, look, when he comes on the field, his his passes are beautiful. He gets the ball out quick. But it just comes down to the fact that he was one and four as a starter. And you say it's eerily similar to last year. You're right. Except last year, the Ravens needed Huntley to keep them afloat with the hope that Lamar could come back in the playoffs. I don't think Lamar is as injured as he was last year, so I think there's greater hope. And then this year, Huntley should have a better supporting cast than he did last year because Lamar was one of the last injuries to go down, you know, as we remember. So Huntley does have a better supporting cast this year. My guess is he'll have Ronnie Stanley back. The defense, I think, is better. It's just it's just healthier bodies. So what needs to happen is not have a similar ending as last year where he was one and four as a starter. He was one and three? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I was thinking of four starts and then I and then I made it to that. Okay, one and three. So the Ravens really do need him to keep the ship moving forward and sailing and above water. If he can pull off some of these wins until Lamar can get back, that would be huge. And so you know, I I love him. I have a lot of faith in him, but we need to see him win as a starter, and hopefully that starts this week. So, all right, Bobby, let's jump into – let's get to Brooke. We can talk some more ourselves on the back end, but let's jump into our interview with Brooke Pryor from ESPN. All right, so, Brooke, here we go again. Ravens-Steelers entering week 14. For those that haven't been watching the Steelers as much, obviously we pay more attention to our division rivals, but – how would you describe the kind of state of the Steelers entering week 14? Well, you know, if you look, if if they're on a graph or they're on a chart, their arrows pointing up right now. I mean, I think that, that they have a lot of momentum after winning the last two games. And that is um, significant because there were times frequently early in the season, especially before the bye week, that this offense in particular didn't look like it had much of an identity. It was really frustrating to watch week after week. You know, they might get, a long a long drive here or there but overall it was a lot of three and outs there's a lot of quick possessions a lot of turnovers uh from rookie Kenny Pickett after he was inserted at halftime of week four it was just a really discombobulated offense and then defensively they were playing without TJ Watt for a big chunk of the season after he injured his peck in week one once he came back it didn't necessarily fix everything things started to look better but I think right now they're really playing complimentary football and that's not something that I think I've been able to say before the last maybe month or so of the season they've won three out of their last four um this is by no means a team that is a juggernaut in the AFC or that I think can even make a realistic playoff push but 
let's be honest, this, this team has weird ways of doing things in December and January, and they have made the playoffs before after starting out similarly. So I think that right now this is a team that is that's really on the rise. Complimentary football and turnover-free football too, Brooke. And that, of course, starts and ends with Kenny Pickett. You mentioned him. Is there a growing belief within Steelers country that maybe over the last month or so there is this thought that he could be the guy for the franchise moving forward? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that that was the thought when they drafted him. That's been the hope all along. I mean, they used their first round pick on a quarterback. It's been a long time since they've done that. I mean, all the way back to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, just, just under 20 years before that. Um, that's what they wanted. He's a guy that this city is obviously very familiar with being a pit product. Um, and, and they wanted him to be able to take over the reins from Ben Roethlisberger, but it hasn't necessarily been the smoothest transition because they did start out with Mitch Trubisky. And then once Pickett got in there, it was very slow to start. And I think that a lot of that was self-inflicted by the Steelers in the way that they handled this transition because Mitch Trubisky took the bulk of the first team reps through the offseason, through training camp, through the first month of the season. And so Pickett was really having to play catch up um, from the minute that he took over. And then once he got to the bye, I think he got an opportunity to take a breath. Everybody else took a breath. They kind of reset. He's only continued to improve the more time he's gotten with his receivers and the weapons around him. The line has started to look better. The run game is now gelling more. And I think you're seeing a guy that is playing more confidently, that has a better mastery of the offense and is is playing more maturely. I mean, he had a couple times in the last few weeks where he would have taken a sack earlier in the season. Instead, he threw the ball away. And those, to me, they're they're fleeting moments. But they're to me, they're signs that he's getting the hang of this. And that's really encouraging for this team. He's thrown 128 consecutive passes without an interception. Maybe I think his pass attempts without an interception. I'm sure I've jinxed him now and he'll throw three on Sunday. But, you know, it's it's he's he's taken all the steps that they expected to see out of him. Hey, Brooke, wide receiver George Pickens. Um, I know there's, you know, some drama surrounding him or he's obviously calling for the ball more. I listened to uh, Mike Tomlin's Tuesday press conference and I liked what he said. He said, uh, you know, I'd rather say to a guy, whoa, rather than sick him. Do you feel like kind of the drama surrounding George, George Pickens might be blown out of proportion a little bit? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, you know, I think it is blown out of proportion a little bit, but I think it's also something that um, when you look at a guy that I think that there were some character concerns is probably too strong uh, a term for it, but there were times where he was competitive to a fault when he was playing in college. He had times where he got in fights um, with opponents, got ejected from games at Georgia. And so I think that, that the Steelers are trying to thread this needle, walk a fine line between you want a guy that is George Pickens, that is ultra competitive, that, I mean, has that dog in him. Like, that's that's who he is, but you have to make sure that he's harnessing it and directing it in the right way. And when you come off the field yelling, you know, throw me the effing ball, like, that's not a great look. You can understand why he's frustrated, um, especially, you know, in a situation where Deontay Johnson is getting far more targets than he is in that game. Johnson nearly fumbled and said it's ruled an incompletion. The ball gets turned over, but... I think that he is just a very emotional player. Mike Tomlin likes that emotion. That's something that he can work with. They're just working with Pickens on, as he said, as, as, as Mike Tomlin said, the mature way to channel that 
to me though, I, I am keeping an eye on how Pickens develops because there've been two incidences this season where one um, at the end of a game, he was ejected it was the end of the Bengals game. He was ejected for leading with his head on a tackle of, I think it was Tyler Boyd on an onside kick uh, recovery attempt. And he was ejected in the final seconds of the game. And his explanation in the week after was, you know, it's not that big a deal because it didn't affect the outcome of the game. And then we actually talked with him uh, in the locker room Wednesday morning and his explanation of, of the situation Sunday uh, when he had the outburst was, well, a lot of players feel that way. I mean, Terrell Owens, T.O. Uh, had a, a lot of the same feelings. And so, you know, I, I'm not unlike any of these other wide receivers. And I don't know that it's necessarily the best thing for a rookie, a rookie wide receiver to be invoking T.O. in that way. Obviously, you want to play like him, but, you know, T.O. wasn't perfect either. So I, I think that it's just something to keep an eye on. But I, I still think, though, that, that Pickens does have a point overall that, he should be getting more targets in a game, but I think it's hard when it is a crowded receiver room. It got a little less crowded with Chase Claypool being traded away, but you just paid Deontay Johnson. Pat Fryermuth is that third down safety blanket. Pickens is third in targets after that, but when the run game is also clicking, the ball can only be spread around so much. So I think that that long-term or at least short-term right now, I don't think that this is going to be a recurring thing that's going to hold him back and this team back this year but I'm interested to see how it develops as his career continues to, to progress. Sounds like the maturation process is still very much ongoing, but man, when yes. you talk about the, the acrobatic catchability and, and that, that dude mentality that he has kind of like Tomlin was getting at, he'd rather have that than, than the alternative. Probably Steelers country is going to be okay with that, but I want to talk about another game changing guy on the other side of the football. And that's TJ Watt. You mentioned him earlier on in, in this, this episode, this team is a shell of itself without him, and the numbers back that up. I mean, between the torn pectoral muscle at, at, you know, and, and a slew of other injuries, Brooke, he is back out there now, but how much is he gutting it out? Yeah, I think that he is really playing through a significant um, amount of pain. He has just this lingering ribs injury that I think he said is, has been something that he's dealt with for the last couple of years. Maybe a significant amount of pain is overblowing it a little bit, but he's not 100%. You can also, though, argue that who is 100% in December. Um, but the thing about T.J. Watt is that he's going to play through it. And he did on Sunday. He looked a, a step or two slow in some of the, the tackles that he was trying to make. I don't think he made his first tackle until the third quarter, which is really unlike him. But for the Steelers, just having Watt out there is huge because he's someone that you have to account for because you can't look at him and say – well, I mean, yeah, 90s on the field, but he's a shell of himself. We'll leave him alone. Like, you absolutely can't do that because a shell of TJ Watt is still a Pro Bowl caliber player. Um, to me, though, the real story here has been the emergence of Alex Highsmith, who played pretty well with TJ Watt out, but he now has double-digit sacks. He's really having a, a coming-out type of season for, for him, for the Steelers' defense, um, and he gets overshadowed by TJ Watt and Cam Hayward because you have these big names on the defense, even Minka Fitzpatrick at safety. But Alex Highsmith has had quietly, I, I think, a, a Pro Bowl-worthy season, at least to be considered. He has really complimented Watt, and I think that Watt being back has only allowed him to, to get through more, to get home more often, because teams can't focus all on Highsmith. Now they have to you know, kind of pick your poison. I think Highsmith has really risen to that challenge. 
great. Just another Steeler defender for Tyler Huntley <laughs> to, to worry about. Speaking of guys he has to worry about, you just mentioned him, Mink and Fitzpatrick. You know, I'm nervous for Tyler. I, I just feel like Minka could, you know, spoil his day. What kind of year is Fitzpatrick having and is he living up to his contract so far? You know, I, I think he is. I mean, shoot, he he is very much in that same TJ Watt vein of like this guy who's an alien. Because let's remember, he had his appendix out. I saw the scar. He had it out on a Saturday. He was at the stadium Sunday, obviously didn't play. But apparently behind the scenes, he's talking to Mike Tomlin being like, man, I want to go. And Tomlin's like, dude, you just had your appendix out. They cut through your stomach muscle. But you know what? He came back and he played the next week. He didn't have – this was not a multi-week absence. And, yes, in the grand scheme of things, having your appendix out is not a major, major surgery. But, like, it's still not, you know, (laughs) non-invasive. It's pretty significant. And he came back out and played. He had the pick at the end of the Falcons game to seal it. He had the pick six of Joe Burrow on Burrow's first pass attempt um, in week one. Fitzpatrick is having a really good season. The thing about him, though, is that he could be quiet most of the game, and you you almost lose him a little bit. And then he reminds you, like, oh, yeah, I'm Minka Fitzpatrick. This is why they paid me so much money. And he'll make a couple splash plays that just, I think, reinforce that and reinforce why the Steelers wanted to pay to keep him around um, I, I know that we ESPN, we just had an analytics article come out that was a survey of uh, an anonymous survey of front offices and analytics staffers across the league. And they actually mentioned Fitzpatrick as being one of the more overrated guys, according to analytics. And I get that. But I think that they're still only scratching the surface of what he can do. And if scratching the surface is having a game ceiling interception, I can't remember how many picks uh, Minka has this year, but it's it's more than two, and he's had a couple others that he's nearly picked up. I think that that he's having a really solid year. So now that we know Tyler Huntley it will more than likely be starting under center, and we heard Mike Tomlin's comments this week about how you know the preparation is similar in terms of dealing with mobile quarterbacks because of the similarity in styles between Tyler and Lamar. How do you see the defensive game plan playing out as a result? Yeah, I mean, this is a defense that has really struggled with mobile quarterbacks in the past. Um, I think that they overall are doing a better job at containing them this year, but they still haven't faced, you know, the mobility that Lamar has. And granted, they're not going to face that. Huntley doesn't have that. Um, But they talked a lot about, you know, Taysom Hill having those capabilities um, if he were, you know, because you didn't know where he was going to line up. Talked about Mariota also having those capabilities. And I think they largely kept those guys in check this year. Their run defense has been much better than in years past when they were in the bottom of the league. So I think their defensive front is really going to be a factor. Guys like Larry Ogunjobi, Cam Hayward, um, their inside linebackers have played better, Miles Jack and Devin Bush. Um, and so I, I think that that they are more prepared uh, than they have been. They're also probably a little bit relieved to be seeing Tyler Huntley, although this team has had some success against Lamar Jackson, but it's usually uh, when they, they, they've had quite a few interceptions off of him. Lamar has not always played great against the Steelers. So I, I don't know if they're, if they're relieved or if maybe they'd rather see him, but you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to, so they're going to just play to the guy that they're going to face. Hey Brooke, taking kind of a step back and looking at the AFC North, um, 
you, you, you kind of alluded to the Steelers always somehow in December and January, I've frequently referred to the Steelers as zombies. You think that they're dead <laughs> and then somehow they come back alive. So in no way does this question imply that I'm overlooking them. The Ravens need this win big time. But just from a big AFC North picture, the Ravens and Bengals are tied at the top at eight and four. Of these two teams, I know the Steelers already played the Bengals twice, but who do you see as the bigger threat finishing with the division crown? You know, I, I think it's going to be the Bengals. They are surging at the right time. I mean, you talked about the Steelers having momentum. The Steelers have like a molehill of momentum compared to the Bengals' mountain of momentum. I mean, you talk about the way that they beat the Chiefs. And that was a game that I thought the Chiefs would win because they'd lost to them twice last year. The Chiefs are a team. Patrick Mahomes is a guy that, I mean, any team hates losing to another team, right? But, like, I felt that they were more motivated than they have been for a regular season game in a long time. And the Bengals still beat them. The fact that the Bengals are where they are and they did a lot of that work without Jamar Chase. Now you insert him back in this offense. They are playing at another level. Although there are some injury concerns on the defensive side in their secondary, but still, I, to me right now, the Bengals are the team to beat. And I mean, you, you guys know the, the Ravens situation better than anyone, but I, I am concerned about how this offense looks without Lamar because I felt like he was kind of the boat that raised the tide or whatever that saying is. Whatever makes the whole tide go up, uh, that's Lamar Jackson. Uh, he, he, he elevates the guys around him, and it's not like, this situation in San Francisco where Jimmy Garoppolo goes out, you put Brock Purdy in and he still has all these shiny toys to play with around him. It's kind of, you know, he, the offense, it's not going to run, you know, on autopilot, but he has a lot, a lot easier of a time to come in and transition. You put Huntley in and he doesn't have the all-star weapons around him to kind of help this team, you know, get its groove back. And that, that to me concerns me about the Ravens. Like I, I think Lamar is, is such a good quarterback, but he makes or breaks this team. And without him and with the way the Bengals are playing right now, I think that, that this division is the Bengals to lose. I'm not sure you can find another team league-wide, Brooke, that relies on one player more heavily than the Ravens do with, with number eight, but uh, that's a conversation yeah. for another day. I think we can all agree <laughs> since he is a problem and there's <laughs> certainly a new Joe Cool in the AFC North. But uh, before we get your your one key matchup and hopefully a prediction as well. Got to ask, we love our tight ends in Baltimore. And this dude, Pat Fryermuth, is is off to a heck of a year yet again. He's logged five 70-plus yard games so far this season, which I saw only trails Travis Kelsey uh, for most in the league for tight ends. So how much has Kenny relied on him within this offense and just how much of a factor is he? Yeah, I mean, he Pat Fryermuth is, is the safety blanket for the security blanket for Kenny Pickett. He's he's the guy he's looking to on third down. He's to me, Fryermuth is kind of the steady, the steadying presence of those offensive weapons because, you know, George Pickens can make some really great acrobatic catches, but sometimes he's not getting the targets. Other times he is getting targets and he's dropping the ball. He dropped a what would have been, I think, like a 49 yard touchdown pass from uh from Kenny Pickett. I believe it was in the Colts game Monday night. And then Deontay Johnson again, is kind of a streaky player. He still has issues with drops. Pat Fryermuth is kind of that guy that's like, he's even keeled. He's really gets the fan base going, but he's also just kind of the guy that Kenny can look to to make the play in really big moments. 
Um, you know, if it's a third long, if it's a fourth down and they decide to go for it, um, they're not going to run the ball. They're going to look to Pat Fryermuth. And I just think that, that he's really talking about key matchups. To me, the way the Ravens play Pat Fryermuth is going to go a long way in dictating how this game turns out for the Steelers. All right. Well, there's the key matchup, Bobby. I mean, and, and it's interesting because from the Ravens side, they've, uh, for the, for the fa- past several years, have had a hard time with tight ends, hoping that Roquan Smith combined with with uh, Patrick Queen can actually make a difference. This will be a nice test. All right, so, Rook, we always finish with the same last question for all of our guests. With the Ravens, they're trying to end a four-game skid against the Steelers. I'd forgotten that they had lost four straight. The defeats come by a combined 13 points. So with that in mind, could you give us a prediction of who wins and along with the score if you have one? I think, and this is, this to me is, is you know, maybe, it, I, I think I'm also drawing on my previous experience covering, like you said, the zombie Steelers in December and January. Uh, and I was, you know, at that Ravens game last year in January and was like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then it happened. Uh, I think the Steelers are going to eke this one out. But I'm going to go 21-17. I think it's going to be All close. Right. I, if the Steelers score 21 points, I mean, it's that that will be about par for the course. They've had some some issues with red zone efficiency. Um, but I, I, I think that they have the edge right now just building off of their momentum. You know, I kind of like Brooke's willingness to share the prediction with us. She could have easily said, ah, listen, <laughs> this game at ESPN. you know, I like it. I like it. Here's the thing. I, like I could it. easily be wrong. That's and I, I have made peace with being wrong so often. I do it every week, multiple times a week on national television. So I'll, <laughs> I'll throw a score out there and make a prediction. It is what it is. Yeah, we do it. We do it every week. So Bobby's got a better record than me so far this season, but only by one, only by one. But I like (laughs) it. You got it within the flip a freaking coin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This one, look, it's in, it's in Pittsburgh. You know, it's going to be physical. You know, it's going to be just black and blue. It's going to, it's going to be one of those defensive games. We can all feel it right now. Four points difference. That sounds about right, Brooke. So we appreciate you coming on. We know that you have such a tight schedule over to ESPN and everything you're, that you're doing. So thanks for coming on with us, Brooke. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Great stuff there from Brooke. And like we mentioned, and gosh, you turn on ESPN these days once or twice a week. You're seeing Brooke on that ESPN table at the desk with, with all the big guns. So great to see her getting some airtime. She's done a lot of great work for Pittsburgh coverage over the years. And for Ravens fans, if you want that Steelers pulse, find her on Twitter. She's just as consistent as the Ravens beat reporters are for her team. But, you know, Sarah, there are a couple takeaways that I had, and specifically the fact that they're a rookie. They're a guy who arguably probably should have been under center from the jump. They went with Mitch Trubisky, like she said, to start the season, and then inevitably went to Kenny Pickett, their rookie out of Pittsburgh. He's playing clean, turnover-free football. They've Won three of their last four, as we mentioned. And this is a guy who, okay, is he going to kill you with his legs? Not necessarily, but as he showed at Pittsburgh, we all remember that fake slide that he did. (laughs) And he's also been relatively mobile. He's a smart quarterback. He's still very young. He's inexperienced, obviously. But he is someone who's with a ground game, and we'll get to that in just a bit, that's rounding into form. He's playing winning football as of late. And their record indicates it over the last month or so. Yeah, he's clearly starting to settle in. This, I think the stat is it's either four or five games. Each game, his passer rating has improved. And if you're Coach Mike Tomlin, that's all you want to see. You just want to see a rookie get better and better and better and show that he's learning from his time on the field. And like you said, he's playing mistake-free. Prior to this Broncos game, the Ravens had a, sh- a streak dating back to last season of having at least one turnover, and that was finally broken. But they've got to return to that. This is, you know, a rookie that even though he's getting better and playing mistake free, Bobby, this is going to be a defensive matchup. The Ravens defense is going to have to lead this team to victory. And so to do that, that's going to start with trying to get after Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett didn't take a sack last week. The Ravens have a top five pass rush right now in terms of sacks. So they got to get after him. They got to make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket. And it's when you make him feel uncomfortable, that's when they start making mistakes. So they want to force him in to making bad decisions by making him feel uncomfortable. This is going to be defensive-minded to your point. And I'm looking at a stat right now. That is so telling uh, what star Pittsburgh star. I mean, star. This dude is just an absolute superhuman for them. TJ Watt with and without TJ Watt. And and as Brooke mentioned, he's playing banged up. He's missed a good portion of the season with that torn pectoral muscle. Didn't require surgery, but he's got several injuries right now. Like a lot of players do this time of year. Here's the Steelers with and without TJ this season in a number of different categories. Win-loss record with 3-1. and one. Without 1-6. One Takeaways Bananas. with TJ Watt, 11 total. Without TJ Watt, 5. Okay. Sacks, this is the final stat here. Sacks with TJ Watt on the field, 14 total without 8. There, that's why I kind of asked her. Yeah. Are they true? They're they're a shell 
of uh, they're a shell of themselves defensively without this guy on the field, regardless of whether or not he's hundred percent. And that's crazy, Bobby, because as you talked about, he's dealing with these injuries, and so, so, but he still makes that difference. That is a matchup to watch. I mean, Morgan Moses. There have been games that he's been, you know, solid, and there's other games where it's just like. Uh Uh-oh, you know, so that's a big, big matchup. And I felt like, um, you know, with the rotation between uh, McCary and Falele, neither one of them had good games. And McCary was dealing with an injury. He didn't uh, practice Wednesday. We're we're taping this Thursday. We'll see how it goes the rest of the week. Um, But I was looking at Ken McCusick's uh, offensive line scoring. And he does. He he watches every single play and gives a grade to every offensive lineman on every single play. And he has it, you know, kind of a he's got to kind of down to a science on how he on he does these scores. But McCary scored a D last week and Falele scored an F. That's not going to get it done. Morgan Moses uh, also did not have a high score. I don't want to put it on it. I can't I, I, I want to say it was a D, but I'll look it back up as you're talking. It's that's just not enough against this Steelers pass rush. So I think the good news is that Ronnie Stanley returned as a full participant Wednesday. That to me is a sign that he will play Sunday. And boy, does Tyler Huntley need it. Another matchup that that I want to point out is actually the two head coaches. Talk about a matchup to watch. John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin have gone up against each other 32 times when you include the playoffs. That is the second most head-to-head matchups between a pair of opposing coaches in league history. you got to go back to Curly Lambeau versus George Hallis to find more times. These guys, John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, know each other. They know each other. They know what they're getting into. And I was listening to uh, Mike Tomlin's press conference uh, from Tuesday, and you know it's clear that he 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 used the word honored. He feels honored to be a part of this rivalry. And what's crazy is I don't have the breakdown of who won the most of those head-to-head battles. I know it's pretty close, but if you look at these two head coaches since 2008, which is when John Harbaugh came in, uh, if you remember, Mike Tomlin was hired the year before. But to take a you know looking at it for the same amount of years from 2008. John Harbaugh has the NFL's fourth most total wins, which is 156, which and includes the playoffs. Then Mike Tomlin ranks third with just one more total victory at 157. These are two of, and I know their fan bases, believe me, when I was watching Mike Tomlin, I was watching on YouTube. If you ever listen to the Ravens YouTube press conferences and you read the comments coming in from fans, they're just bashing him. You know, they do the same thing to Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh because I know for, you know, fan bases, they kind of just, you know, they've been seeing it forever and they kind of just want something fresh. But uh, these two guys to put up the third and fourth most wins in the entire league while going up against each other twice a year, maybe three times depending on playoffs. Yeah. It's it's not a player matchup, but that's a big matchup. Sarah, all of a sudden, when you look at longest tenured NFL head coaches league wide, the only guy, arguably the GOAT, maybe inarguably, depending on who you talk to, 
is Bill Belichick above these guys. Like you said, Mike Tomlin was hired January 27th of 2007 in Pittsburgh. January 19th of 2008, almost a year later to the day, John Harbaugh walked into Baltimore as the current, at that time, what? He was the special teams coordinator for Philly at that time, was it? Yep, yep. And how about that? The rest is history. So with Sean Payton retiring, or semi-retiring, I'm sure he'll be back in the game at some point. <laughs> He's a broadcaster right now, and not one of our favorites, mind you. <laughs> not one of our favorites, and he is trying to poach Lamar Jackson, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With him leaving the league, though, at the end of last year, it's Belichick, Tomlin, Harbaugh, Pete Carroll in Seattle. So, wow. and I believe after that, Andy Reid. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, it, it's a small list. It's a respected list. And obviously this matchup, there's a ton of respect, ton of history. And uh, <coughs> obviously we're expecting, and I think our predictions certainly will, will reflect this. We're expecting a defensive-minded game that's low scoring. It's, it's Ravens-Steelers. Come on, what else is it going to be? Yeah, and speaking of that, so, okay, with the Ravens' defense, it seems to me we know what their issue has been. It's been um, finishing games. Um, I mentioned this on the Morning Vault. Two of the defensive meltdowns came while Marlon Humphrey was on the sideline um, with, you know, kind of minor injuries. Luckily, nothing that's taken him out for a full game. Um, I mean, he has been unreal this season, undoubtedly worth a Pro Bowl vote if you haven't done so already. And perhaps he's playing at an all-pro level. I mean, he just is out of his mind with um, three sacks. Uh, you know, he's got interceptions. He he keeps the passer rating and the yards low whenever he's targeted. I mean, it's just out of his mind. But, but to, I want to speak a little bit more about the defense, which has definitely improved, notwithstanding that Jacksonville collapse, which was just ugh, still still bugs me. But, okay, we know that they played even worse for the first four games. So how much have they improved since those first four games when they gave up leads, you know, to Miami and the Bills and the Giants, all of that? Okay. And their past nine games, which goes back to week four then, Baltimore's defense has allowed just 288 yards per game. Where does that rank in the NFL during that span? That's number two. That's how much they've improved. Okay, and then the third down, that's a big one, right? They've limited opponents to a league-best 30.8 success rate on third down. So that's what the Ravens need to bring, but all the way for all four quarters to beat these Steelers. And we already talked about Kenny Pickett. Uh, Brooke Pryor, I think, hit a massive matchup with tight end uh, Fryermuth. He's massive. The Ravens traditionally have not been great against tight ends. If you can slow him down, you're taking away Pickett's security blanket. And then the only other thing that you would then after that, not the only, but another major thing is running back Najee Harris. The Ravens have been doing well on rush defense also, and that's not just having to, you know, go back to week four. Like for the whole year, the Ravens defense are number two against the rush. So, that's what they got to do. They got to they got to take care of Fryermuth and then shut down uh, Najee Harris, and then that's just not enough offense. Then you hope that Tyler Huntley can can put up more than them. Remind me to go back to Marlin in a second because I think he's he's worth another mention of some statistics that I have in front of me. That's kind of all pro 
caliber right good, now good, I was just, uh, entering yeah i was just trying yeah. to do it off of memory so i'm glad you got them here yeah yeah i'll go to that just in a second here but in some of my prep work for the weekend i've, I've noticed that pittsburgh's use of of 12 personnel packages have totally opened up their run game and mm. like i said we've mentioned it a couple times now they're playing their best football of the season over the last month or so won three of its last four coming into this one and in those wins they've averaged just over 160 yards per contest on the ground. So you know what they want to do. And it's mm. been a running back by committee in recent weeks. Najee is obviously their guy. He is a star talent. But Benny Snell as well has shown his capabilities. And so it's not just a one-man punch. So like you said, Ravens have, have been stout against the run this year, among the league's best. But this could be one of the tests of the year in terms of teams that are just really hot right now grounding and pounding it and that's what they're doing in Pittsburgh all right now hit us up with your Marlin stats yeah so this is courtesy of of Malik whoa leak on Twitter he's got Baltimore versus everybody in his Twitter bio so I like him already but uh <laughs> Marlin has had some significant assignments and single coverage this year Sarah I'm talking DJ Moore Jalen Waddle Tyreek Hill Chris Olave Christian Kirk Stefan Diggs, Jamar Chase, Cortland Sutton. I mean, those are a slew of, of big-time guys that he's had assignments on. Here are the statistical numbers for the year. Just 325 yards allowed all season entering week 14 of this year. Zero touchdowns allowed. Three interceptions, like you mentioned. Three sacks, or that's what you mentioned. Six total pressures. 503 snaps he's logged out wide. 161 in the slot, and yet just three penalties all year long. And I can remember at least one or two of those sort of being tic-tac-y. So this guy's having an all-pro caliber year, a bounce-back year for what was somewhat pedestrian and lukewarm because of how much he was asked to do with all the injuries last year. We know he himself tore his pectoral muscle at the end of last year. There's showing no signs of any kind of bump in the road, and it's been super impressive to watch. He has been phenomenal, as I said. And here's the other crazy thing talking about defense, Bobby, is the Ravens are ridiculously close to being completely whole on defense. Um, once Marcus Williams returns, which it could be this week. I know that he went, he's he will have practiced two weeks. Uh, since coming off of since you know being in that 21 day window and I know the first week he still had on his plastic brace and um, John Harbaugh said that it was going to be coming off this week so I would give him probably one more week um, he could go but once he returns as long as nobody else is lost we know that PQ already returned to practice, so he looks like he's going to be fine despite how horrible that injury looked then the Ravens will have their entire starting defense minus Michael Pierce. And Broderick Washington has been playing pretty well in Mike, Michael Pierce's spot. So there should be no excuses for this defense, especially once Williams comes back, because that's your roster. That's who you put together. That's That was the vision to come that, that, that 
Eric DaCosta and the front office had. So whether it's this week against the Steelers or the next week after, this defense is close to being whole. Before we came on and started taping this, you said something along the lines of like, the Ravens haven't been able to put together one game now through 12 games, 13 NFL weeks, entering week 14, where it's been a four-quarter performance from all three phases, right? One day, one game, and it's been recently, of course. The defense just goes all out and holds a Denver team. Granted, yeah, we get it. It's not a great offense there. There's no cooking from Russ along those lines, but they hold them to nine points nonetheless, and it's an NFL offense. They hold Carolina to three total points. They hold a New Orleans team to 13 total points. Tampa to 22, right? But in some of those games, Carolina and Denver, of course, the offense has sputtered. Special teams has been an issue at times this season. So we haven't seen a four-quarter full-game performance from all three phases yet, and yet they sit at eight and four. I think one of the issues offensively has been failure to launch, a struggle out of the gate, and so much so... It's been for about a month now, Sarah, since week eight. This team has combined to score just 16 first quarter points, and they aren't dominating in the time of possession category like we're used to seeing with these Ravens ground and pound kind of offenses that we've seen in the Lamar Jackson era. Remember, it wasn't all that long ago, really, at times last year when they were eight and three entering week, uh, I guess, through 11 weeks of football before everything went downhill that they weren't even allowing you, your offense, to be on the field because of how well they were sustaining drives and cashing in in the red zone. It feels like a lifetime ago. Bobby, the offense has just been so clunky. Like whether it's because they get in plays late or, um, you know, dumb pre-snap penalties or whatever, like they just have lacked rhythm for – almost a month now. And we kind of touched on this in, I think it was Wednesday's morning vaults where some of the national media were trying to um, look at potential positives. Right. And I think it came across to some, I'm not, I think I know because they, you know, left his comments um, that somehow that was Lamar's fault. Cause the, the, like, for example, Dan Orlovsky and Marcus Spears, right. They were saying perhaps This could be good for the offense with Huntley only in that. And this is just looking for a positive, right? This isn't at all saying that Huntley is anywhere close to the preferred quarterback over Lamar Jackson. But in trying to find positives and some hope as you go into these games is that because Huntley can't do these Superman things that Lamar can do, you will see him more in this quick passing game if you look up the next gen stats where they show you know the green dots for where he hits his receivers and then a white dot is where you miss and I think a red is where you throw an interception all of the green dots were super close to the line of scrimmage or even behind it right and so there was maybe one deep white dot I haven't watched Huntley enough to quite know but he doesn't strike me as like this deep passing quarterback, right? That um, at least that hasn't been featured and it certainly wasn't against the Broncos. It's all these really quick passes that gets the ball out. And so what Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky were trying to say is like, 
knowing that that's your quarterback and that he really throws in a rhythm where Lamar isn't as much like that, right? Isn't just like always trying to get it out because he can do other things that Huntley can't do, right? But he, he they were just saying maybe that'll help the offense get into a rhythm. So um, we'll see. Now, the other thing that a lot of fans have been talking about, and I think they're right, is they were saying how different it seemed that Greg Roman and the Ravens were calling the game as opposed to Lamar, especially in the previous few games. And it feels that way because they did. I, they definitely spread the, the, the lineups and all that more out wide. Now, John Harbaugh was asked about that Monday on Monday, and he said, yeah, we did. He goes, but that was the plan with Lamar, too. Like, that was the game plan. You know, some fans didn't believe him, which I get. It's not like coaches are, you know, constantly being transparent with everything. But we looked at um, – I was, I was looking at Spencer Schultz. He had tweeted four screen grabs of the plays right before Lamar went down. And the the play calls were spread out and wider. So that gives that that just, I guess, goes into what Harbaugh was saying, maybe proves that 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 is what the game plan was. And they had started doing that with Lamar. So um, but yeah, it is a different game plan because a it sounds like they were going to. But B, they're different quarterbacks. Huntley can't do what Lamar can do. But at the same time, I get the gripe because. You want to see a quarterback have a, have a variety. So it's going to be nice that Huntley can get the ball out. That'll be nice. It'll be refreshing that he does it fast. But then all that's going to happen is teams are going to realize that's what he's doing. Then they'll sit on the shorter route, you know. And so at some point, he is going to have to push it down the field so that they're not just sitting on these short routes, which also helps them play the run game more. And then when Lamar's in, why not give him a little bit of calls like they were giving with Huntley and let him have some of those intermediate and short routes blended in with the other things that he can do, throwing down the field or scrambling or whatever. And so it's just this idea that it's like, let's get a variety with the quarterback, not just completely change it for one or the other. This has got me thinking that assuming that Greg is going to end up calling a very similar game to what we saw when... Tyler was thrust into action, what really became a conservative dink and dunk kind of play calling approach. Yak yards are going to be crucial. Like the only yak yards that I remember, aside from Isaiah Likely's, was maybe Mark Andrews, like once or twice in that Denver game. You get the point. Uh, There was very little yak yards total from the team. Uh, Did Deshaun have a couple maybe? I don't know. Like, it's you get the point like it's that that's gonna in order to keep Pittsburgh on its toes and keep the chains moving I mean goodness gracious these these four or five six yard completions they're just not it's not gonna cut it you're right you become predictable with the lack of vertical passing attack that this team has right now It, it becomes pretty straightforward for a defense that let's face it is playing really good football and leading this team right now to victory for the Steelers. So I think we both expect that kind of game plan to be implemented again. What, what do we have to believe anything else? Yeah. And what makes me nervous about it is like, it can, it can work as we saw in on the game winning drive. What makes me nervous. And we talked about this in the post game, Bobby, when you're doing that way, yes. Number one, you need yak. And Oh, by the way, the other big yak on that game 
was from Kenyon Drake. <laughs> Remember on the screen pass yes. that the Broncos yes. defender bit on, and then so that that was another big one. But but to your point, if you're going to play that kind of game. You have to keep converting, 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 converting over and over and over again. And the Ravens needed two fourth downs to do that. And they needed they needed a couple of uh, penalties to do that. It's really hard to just keep converting when you're hitting on five and you're hitting on six and you're hitting on four and then you run for three and this and that, which is why you like a quick strike every now and then, because to do that, drive in and drive out, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So we'll see what what Tyler Huntley and this Ravens offense can do. And really the run game is going to have to step up big time to take some pressure off of that that intermediate passing game. I'm going to give you my matchup, yeah. if you don't mind. Because okay, I go think for it. it. it kind of, uh-huh. It's a perfect segue right now. But I'm going to go with the Ravens going up against themselves in this one. Because in all likelihood, with no Lamar Jackson for the next couple of weeks, turnover-free, clean football is going to be a requirement. going to be a must. You have to have it. And in some of Baltimore's losses this year, the team has, quite frankly, beaten itself. Sarah, they were. we talked about this in the instant reaction. They were 3 of 13 on third down efficiency, or really lack thereof. There was nothing efficient about that last weekend against the Broncos. So no wonder, aside from the game-winning 91-yard drive executed by Snoop, No wonder they haven't been able to sustain drives. That's what I'm going to be looking for. How about you? I already named mine. I did Morgan Moses versus TJ Watt. I did the head coaches, and I just reiterated um, Friar Muth versus our our linebackers. And the last thing was was Najee Harris. So, again, that's going to be uh, the defensive line and then Patrick Queen and and Roquan Smith coming up big time. So I kind of sprinkled them in in there. So we'll go ahead and and, uh, move into – the game prediction category. We've talked about it a ton. It's going to be defensive effort. Ravens defense is going to have to play four quarters all the way up into that those last two minutes of the fourth quarter. But I'm nervous about this one, Bobby. I I I just keep thinking about Ronnie Stanley's one and three. Excuse me, Tyler Huntley's one and three record, and it's in Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Steelers are ascending. The Ravens' offense is just not clicking. I think it can. I think it's a possibility. I'm not counting Tyler Huntley out at all. I think, he, like I said, Ravens are in a great backup quarterback position with him. Uh, we're very fortunate to have him. But it just doesn't – I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. So I'm predicting a Steelers win 17-13. to 13. I'm going to be really blunt about this. I just don't trust the offense right now. I don't have any confidence that they can put up, you know, points on a consistent four-quarter basis to keep themselves in games. They have a championship caliber defense that, yes, at times has not looked like it this year when the fourth quarter collapses. But they've shown, aside from those, that they are very capable of putting together four-quarter performances, winning you games. They they. Let's face it, they don't win that Denver game without that stellar defensive performance. And yep. so while while that's great, and while Tyus Bowser said it this week, defense absolutely wins you championships, especially with December football and contending and everything that comes with it, you have to be able to sustain drives. You have to be able to keep defenses 
on its toes. And we haven't seen that in a long time from this offense. And with no Lamar, I just don't have a ton of confidence. Hopefully Ronnie Stanley will be able to go and hopefully they can get their ground game coming. We don't know what J.K. Dobbins status is. I would expect it to be another week. I am going with the Steelers at home. I'll give the Steelers 23. Ravens, eh, 23-21. Another nail biter. Wow. All right. There we go. Yeah, we both know it's not going to be decided by more than, you know, a few points. So uh, hopefully, Bobby, we're both wrong. We'd love to get back on here on our post-game reaction and just have been totally wrong and somehow the offense found found its uh, rhythm, found its mojo back, but we will find out. So we'll go ahead and, and wrap things up here. Uh, if you haven't checked out our um, other content, plenty going on there. Um, talk about what we feel is some bad advice from um, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless to Lamar Jackson on Thursday's Morning Vaults. I got on my soapbox a little bit, Bobby. Bobby let me <laughs> kind of do that a little bit. And I got into four hard truths about the Ravens' history at the wide receiver position and how I feel uh, it's hurting Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' ability to uh, beat elite teams. Uh, so there's all that content. We'll have another uh, morning vault Friday morning. We don't know what that's going to be yet, but it's it's there. We'll see you guys post-game to break down everything between Ravens-Steelers. Thank you for joining us on the Ravens Vault. Ravens Vault.